0: <laughs> you know, you try to get class started, Tony's being disruptive. That's just the way it's gonna be. We ready? Jackie said let's go. Although I was gonna start out by... Jackie came in and said it's her fault. Her raspberries are now molding on the vine. She has prayed for rain. And you've gotten what you asked for a little too much. That is correct. Danny was telling my daughter and son-in-law that Summer finally started last week and i was telling him it ended this week apparently so <laughs> we have a couple days coming up so all right let's uh, let's open with a word of prayer father we do love you and we do thank you for your blessings and your kindness and mercy to us We hope that we can appreciate what you give us and be good stewards of what you entrust to us. We thank you that you've given us your word and the opportunity to read and learn and spend time in your word. Please speak to us tonight through your word. Help us to learn what you would have us to learn. Uh, Help our time of discussion and that we can learn from these stories and be the type of people we need to be and learn the lessons you would have us to learn. Father, we have many on our minds that are going through difficult challenges and hardships, and we put them before you at this time asking your blessings upon them. Lord, forgive us when we sin. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. I don't normally uh, point out visitors. I did bring someone from the base, but I won't point them out because that's embarrassing. However, I do have a visitor that I don't mind embarrassing because she's my daughter and son-in-law, and so they're here. Um, It means that I have gone from the second favorite person in the house to the fourth favorite person in the house because my daughter and son-in-law both visited. So... Uh, my wife is very happy that they're here. They're here all week. Um, She—it is weird that my wife likes her son-in-law. It's a little unusual. The son-in-law does not like his mother-in-law, but she likes him. It's a really good, really good. All right, we're going to be in Exodus chapter two. If you want to be turning there, Exodus chapter two. So we took a little detour. Uh, When you study the Israelites, it can be a challenge sometimes if you spend six or eight weeks in a row on the Israelites because some of the themes and some of the messages do overlap. And so the last few weeks we detoured into uh, Jonah and then the book of Daniel, and then we'll start back with Moses and uh, continue on with some of those stories, uh, particularly the Exodus story. and. And go through that over the next few weeks. So, Exodus chapter two is where we're going to be. Right. So, uh, as a reminder, we know that um, the Egyptians had grown. Excuse me, the Israelites had grown in Egypt. Pharaoh had taken notice of how big they had gotten, and of course, what was his concern as the Israelites got bigger? Yeah, uh, a military concern. If we go to war. We've got these people that outnumber us in our country, and they could join the enemy, and they could defeat us. And so um, the Egyptians, they started being harsh on the Israelites, then they made them slaves, then they increased their workload, and they're trying to oppress them. And then finally Pharaoh says, okay, we've got to do something else. We're going to control the population. We're going to start killing all the male babies, right? Uh, We talked about the midwives and the story they had and how they played out. In the midst of all that, we see a particular person that's introduced, okay? Uh, And that's in Exodus chapter 2, and it's the birth and the story of Moses. So remember, at this time, Pharaoh has an edict. Any male son that's born, you kill him, okay? Moses is born, and his parents decide they're not going to follow this edict. So they hide him for three months, okay? They're hiding him, trying to protect him. Now, it's interesting when you look at Hebrews chapter 11. So the great, you know, the, the great, what we call the, hate, the the faith hall of fame, maybe. The great chapter on faith. Hebrews chapter 11, it talks about Moses' parents hiding him. By faith, Moses, in verse 23, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Now that's an interesting statement. If they were not afraid of the king's edict, why did they hide him? Cuz doesn't that seem contradictory? We know they didn't do anything wrong, right? Because by faith they did it. They're praised for what they did. But if they're not afraid of the king's edict, why did they hide him? Right, and, and what was the word you used, Tony? And what did you mean by that? Wisdom is what he said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Tony and Jackie both made the same point. They weren't afraid of the king's edict, but that doesn't mean they're gonna say, Well, we got a male baby, I dare you to come get let me tell you, who's the most powerful person in Egypt? God's the most powerful being, but who's the most powerful person in Egypt? Pharaoh, right? If Pharaoh wants you dead, does he have to have a reason? In Egypt, Pharaoh was like a god in the eyes of the people. So when he spoke, they did it. They don't have to have a reason, doesn't have to have a conviction, doesn't have to set you up. He can just walk down and say, kill that person. They killed him and moved on. So fighting Pharaoh was a losing battle, unless God tells you to fight Pharaoh. So, here we have somebody who's opposing the government, who's opposing the king, who's opposing Pharaoh, and they're doing it by faith, yet they're still hiding it. We've talked about this a lot, and I just want to emphasize it again. We don't let the government decide if we're Christians. We don't let the government decide if we're going to be practicing as a Christian. But that doesn't mean you see Pharaoh, you see Moses' parents on Facebook And you don't see them tweeting about, we had a son, and we're not going to let the government tell us what to do, right? There's still wisdom in how we act. There's still prudence in how we act, even though we may be opposing, right? Even though we may be opposing things that go against God's will. So I just want us to be cautious as Christians when we jump on board, when we see stuff sensationalized, be very careful about that. You may be jumping on board with people that are sinning just as much as the government, right? We've talked about some of those stories recently. You know, that great Christian Baker. Yeah, he was in the wrong. If you don't know the details, we'll talk about it afterwards. He sinned, and he brought it upon himself, and we all praised him, right? Christians all around say, what a great man. No, he was an idiot, okay? He sinned in what he did. He went out and fronted it. He picked a fight. He made it about him. He said, I want to be the person. That's wrong. When you make it about you, it is always wrong. And he did it on purpose. So by faith, they were not afraid of the king's edict, but they still hid their child. They still used wisdom. So what they did is they hid him for about three months. When they got to where they didn't think they could hide him anymore, take him down to the river. For those that don't know the story, most of us do, she takes him down to the river. She puts him in a basket, floats it down the river a little bit, and they wait. And who happens to come down? What I heard somebody say? Right. Pharaoh's daughter shows up by pure chance, right? Yeah. Right. They knew what they were doing, and God knew what he was doing. We're going to talk about how this plays out um, in in a minute. So Pharaoh's daughter comes down, finds him. Moses' sister, oh, you found a baby. Would you like help? Do you want me to find somebody to nurse that Hebrew baby? Oh, sure, that'd be great. So Moses goes back to his house. He's raised by his mother, yet he's adopted by Pharaoh's daughter and is raised in Pharaoh's household. I mean, this is a pretty neat setup. This is a pretty neat way that Moses comes about to who he is. Yeah, mother gets. Now, imagine getting paid to raise your own kids. Jackie brings up a good point. My wife would like that job. So, um, getting paid. That. Is it worth it, though? How much would they have to pay you to raise your own kids? (laughs) You might choose to raise your kids because you love them, but you wouldn't do it for money, probably. (laughs) There's probably not enough money in it. (laughs) All right. So um, was this chance? Was this luck? Was this Moses' mother's planning? How did this all come about, right? What's the providence of God, and why does that matter? What is, going to, what is going to be the benefit of Moses throughout his life of being raised by his Hebrew mother, being raised in Pharaoh's household? So what's the benefit to Moses? Why did God do it this way? Why didn't he just raise Moses as a really powerful Hebrew and have him lead an army against the Egyptians? Why didn't he just raise an Egyptian to rebel against Pharaoh and let the Israelites? Why didn't he just raise a, a Pharaoh that said, you know what, we've been mean to these Israelites, we let them go. The, right, so, so Moses is going to have the best of two worlds here, right? He knows he's a Hebrew, we're going to see that later, right? He makes a choice. He understands what being an Israelite is, he knows about God. But he knows who Pharaoh is. Pharaoh knows who he is. He understands the Egyptian ways, the government, the protocol, the household, the laws. You think just anybody can walk back into Egypt and get, a, get an audience with Pharaoh? No. No, they can't. Now, God can make it happen, but this is a man who had been raised in that palace. You think anybody would know how to get an audience and what to say and what the protocol is in front of Pharaoh? No. But this man did. See, what God was doing was God was preparing Moses as a child for what he's going to use him for 80 years later. And so the lesson is God prepares us for what we will face. Okay, God prepares us for what we will face. Now, that doesn't mean we face everything perfectly. That doesn't mean we don't make mistakes. That doesn't mean everything that happens, um, God is causing. I don't mean that at all you think about life experiences, people in your life, backgrounds, your faith experiences. So what experiences does God put us through? Think about this in our lives. What experiences does God put us through so that we can help others? What is he preparing us for? Are we using those experiences in our life to grow, to be prepared? Are we using them to complain and self-pity, right? Because Moses got taken away from his family, but really he didn't. I mean, Moses was in the 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 palace, but really he kind of got pushed out, right? I mean, we see Moses go through ups and downs, but God was using each of those situations to help prepare him, and we're going to talk about this as we go forward, but I love the verse. I tell you, each week I seem to have a favorite verse. I love the verse from the story of Esther, and we will talk about it at some time, but does anybody know the best verse from the story of Esther? What's the verse? Anybody? That's right, for such a time as this. That is the story of Esther. It is a great story. When Mordecai tells her, Esther, you may not choose to do this. God will do it whether you choose to be the one. But how do you know that he didn't put you here for such a time as this? Moses is born to a Hebrew woman who defies Pharaoh, gets picked up by Pharaoh's daughter and adopted, Gets raised by his mother, a Hebrew woman, to learn about God. But gets raised by Pharaoh's daughter. For such a time as this. Moses is being prepared for something. And so in my life, I have to say, what is God God preparing me for? For such a time as this. What is he saying? Stephen, I put you in... Anchorage or Nashville, or I gave you a job or took away your job, or I gave you a sickness or didn't give you a sickness, or your mom got sick, or your wife did this, or your whatever, for such a time as this, right? That's what God is doing. God's preparing him. We're going to talk about that a little more. So as Moses is raised, we actually see there's one line, and then we know 40 years goes by. Moses is now about 40, if, if Acts chapter 7 is literal, when Stephen's talking about the story of Moses, 40 years. Okay, Moses has been raised in Pharaoh's household. He was raised as a Hebrew. He chooses, as he gets older, to leave that Pharaoh's household and go out among his people. Okay, Because he chooses to be a part of the Israelites. And he's out one day. And what does it say that he witnesses? What does he see? Yeah, one of his, his people, not Pharaoh's, right, his people, Israelites, yeah, one of his people being beaten. So one of the Israelites are being beaten by an Egyptian. So what does he do? Yeah, he, he killed him, buried him in the sand, went to hide it. And remember, this is somebody raised in Pharaoh's household, so he does have some, uh, he's, he's going to be a little bit protected, but not to kill another Egyptian especially since he's not truly an Egyptian. Um, we see that whatever he did to go out among his people is glorified by God. We don't know if this act was okay. Hebrews chapter 11 talks about by faith Moses chose to be among his people rather than the pleasures in, the, in Pharaoh's household, right? So, so we know his choice to be out among his people was good. We don't know if this was a sin of Moses or not. It doesn't matter to the story. We do know that God very seldom shows us people and doesn't also show them, show us their mistakes. So was he defending the Israelite? Was it justified? It doesn't matter. What we know is he could have been punished for it. So he kills this Egyptian, buries it. The next day he's out and about thinking, hey, I've gotten away with it. He sees some people arguing and he goes to intervene. And one of them says, what, are you going to kill us like you did the Egyptian? Whoops. Now he has a problem. Because even though he was raised in the house of Pharaoh, Pharaoh finds out what he did, and Pharaoh's ready to do something to him. Pharaoh's ready to have him killed. So now we've got Moses who's been all this preparation. Wait a minute, this isn't supposed to happen. God is preparing him for something, yet he's leaving Egypt? That's not the way this is supposed to come about. Well, it is the way it's supposed to come about. It's not the way I would have done it. Is it the way you would have done it? Why? Because we see Moses gets to 40 years old and he flees. And then he's gone for 40 years. I mean, my goodness. Why did we wait 80 years? Come on, God. That's not the right thing to do. Well, God's got his timeline. God's preparing Moses. God's preparing the Israelites. God's preparing the Egyptians. And so we're told, again, in Exodus chapter 2, he leaves. And we're told, by faith, he leaves Egypt. So again, if you go to Hebrews chapter 11. So it says, Moses is afraid of Pharaoh. But by faith, he left Egypt because he wasn't afraid of Pharaoh. Gets back to the same thing we said before. Moses was being prudent. Moses was being wise. I'm leaving because Pharaoh can have me killed tomorrow, and I can't accomplish what I need to accomplish if I'm killed tomorrow. I don't know that he knows anything that God hasn't planned for him at this point. But he leaves at age 40. Okay, So what we have is... I left left a note. What we have is Moses who's gone through ups and downs. He's been in Pharaoh's household. He's been in his parents' household. He went out among the people. Now he's fearing for his life, and he leaves. We talked about the fact that God prepares us for what we have coming, but the lesson I want to take a step further for that is we need to make sure that those trials and experiences in life, okay, make us stronger and better prepared for the future, okay? And that is up to us. God can put us through experiences, but if we don't take it correctly, if we don't act correctly, it doesn't mean we're going to grow or be who we need to be, okay? So when we talked about a few weeks ago, James chapter 1, right? We should rejoice in trials. How in the world do I rejoice in trials? This is how we rejoice in trials because we say, okay, this trouble, this trial, this tribulation, this hardship... God is using this for something. Isn't that neat to think about? I mean, that's pretty neat to think about. I'm, I'm going to go through this hardship. I can't rejoice in the middle of this pain, in the middle of this loss, in the middle of this grief. But God is using this for something. That's pretty neat to think. God is molding me and using me. Did Moses' early life better prepare him for his later life? Absolutely. Absolutely. Did Moses' early life prepare him to stand before Pharaoh? Sure. Did Moses' early life prepare him to lead the Israelites? Yes. He's going to lead millions of people. He's going to set up a basic form of government and a trial, a judicial system. You think he just came up with that magically? We don't see that God fed him that, but we know it did somewhat mimic what the Egyptians did. It made sense. He had training in government and communication and languages. He was in the household of Pharaoh all of that ups and down, being taken from his family, now fleeing Egypt, these are all things that are preparing him. And so think about things in your life. Are you using those experiences? Are you letting God prepare you for something? Uh, I think about the verse in Jeremiah where we're told God says, you know, Israel's the, the clay and I am the potter, right? And then we see the verse come back and be quoted in the New Testament, of, you know, God is going to mold us and use us if we let him, right? Uh, if we let him. So I always ask myself, am I learning from my past experiences? And that includes my mistakes, my sins. I don't brag in my sins. But, you know, if I've struggled with the sin, isn't it a little easier for me to then maybe help somebody out who's going through that? So I can tell you about a good friend of mine back in Columbia, Tennessee. They had one of the most horrifying things I think that can happen to a um, a family, and some of you may have experienced this here on this earth, and that was when they had a 11 uh, month old baby die suddenly from SIDS. Okay, uh, unexpectedly, they walk in one morning, and the baby's dead in the crib. Awful experience. But they were able to minister to not one or two, hundreds of people over the next three decades that went through related experiences. Okay. That's not to say that they enjoyed what they went through. But he told me one time, I had a choice to make. I can be bitter or angry or put it away. Or I can say, I'm going to take this experience and let God mold me. That doesn't mean he thought God took his child. Whatever happened, happened. Medically, bad luck, you know, sin happens in life. Whatever happened, happened. We aren't, we aren't in perfect bodies. But he said, I was then going to let that experience, let God mold me. And he was able to speak to people in a way that many of us can't. Many of us can't talk to someone about the loss of a baby. The pain is horrible. And I hope you've never experienced that, but I'm sure some of you have. But they were able to do that, and so they decided, we're going to let God help us. What about people who have gone through... A divorce, loss of a job, filed bankruptcy, right? What about people that have been betrayed? What about people who've been in jail? This is not about other people's mistakes. Sometimes it's our own mistakes, right? Generally, who are the best people to lead a rehab, a drug and alcohol rehab? Somebody who can say, I've been there. Danny? Yes? No go at it. You know, Danny reads First Corinthians, um, Second Corinthians three, one three. Thank you. 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4. And it's saying that how blessed we are when we go through a hardship and God comforts us because that mercy and grace that God shows us, we then can comfort others in the the same comfort that God gave us. We now know what it's like. We now know that benefit. We now have been blessed by it, and we can say, Let me have an opportunity to bless someone else through that. Or or we can choose to not grow from it. We can choose to not let God mold us. We can choose to be the clay that resists the potter, right? So again, I'm not saying we want to go through hard times. But let let me make sure we understand what the Bible says. It doesn't say endure hardships. It doesn't say survive hardships. It doesn't say make sure you make it through those trials. What are we told to do do in the middle of them? Rejoice. Man, that's hard. But this is why. Okay, God, I I don't know what's going on. Moses is going to be 40 more years before he comes back to Pharaoh. I don't know what's going on. I don't want to lose this person. I don't want to lose this job. I don't want to have these financial problems. I don't want this health risk. I don't want this punishment that I deserve or don't deserve. But that's happening. So, God, how are you going to use me? How are you going to mold me because of that? And I can either let him do that, or I can push back. And pushing back, hmm, well, that's a tough one. Romans 9.21, has the potter no right over the clay, right? God is the potter, we're the clay. Alright, sorry. Oh, no, we're doing good. Okay, Exodus 2. Moses now flees. He flees to Midian. And then we have a verse in verse 23 where it says, God heard the groans of the Israelites. How long have the Israelites been in Egypt at this point? Now you know roughly yeah, about 400 years. All right? God, 400 years and God hears the groans of the Israelites. He hasn't forgotten about him. He hasn't abandoned him. Boy, isn't that comforting? Mm-hmm. Yes, Jackie. I think you're right. I think each pharaoh, like you're saying, that pharaoh died, and then another one raises up and decides we weren't punishing him enough. Yes. So punishing him wasn't enough. Enslaving him wasn't enough. We're gonna. Worse, yeah, we're going to increase the workload, take away their—I don't want to say luxuries. That's probably not the right word, but amenities maybe—and things get worse. Now, why did? Why is God allowing that to happen? I think there's a very clear reason that God is letting this get really bad. Yeah, it's for God's glory. And I heard somebody say, it, "So they'll seek Him." Is that what? God wants to. Deliver the Israelites, not let the Israelites deliver themselves. God wants them to recognize who is delivering them. And God wants them to want to be delivered. Yeah. I think you're exactly right. She said they are probably they have probably gotten complacent with their afflictions. That may not be the right word. I like that though. Complacent meaning, oh, life's kinda bad. Oh, well, it's bad. We'll move on. And God's like, no, 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 no. I don't want you just to endure it. I've got something better for you. Okay, it's going to get worse. And then at some point it got bad enough, they said, God, why are we going through this? And God's like, now you know. Egypt is not the promised land. Right? And so I remind myself of this. America is not the promised land. This earth is not the promised land. And I think sometimes we have a pretty good life, right? I've said it before. What's the old story? The preacher said, how many of you want to go to heaven? Everybody raised their hand but one. And why do you don't want to go to heaven? Oh, I thought you meant tonight, (laughs) right? I want to go to heaven now, right this second. That doesn't mean I go do something stupid to myself. But this is not what the reward's about. But sometimes we have it so good. Why is it that people in other parts of the world come to Christ more easily because they don't long for this world. They don't don't like what they're going through. They know that there's something better. A lot of Americans think the reward is right here. We have to remember, this earth is not about the reward. It's not about, oh, man, I became a Christian because my life here on earth is great as a Christian. I think life is great as a Christian, but not because I don't suffer. It's because I know where I'm going. Is because it doesn't matter if I suffer. It doesn't matter what I go through. I've got a reward waiting on me. And that's what God's saying to the Israelites. I got something better for you, but I need you to realize I've got something better for you. So God finally hears their prayers. But that is that is reassuring. It doesn't matter you know, 400 years what Jerry said. It doesn't matter. God will, God hears the prayers. He has deliverance coming. He ha, it may not be in my timeline. It may not be in my lifetime. All right? But he hears our prayers and that should reassure us that no matter what, no matter what we're going through, God is listening, right? He he knows what we're saying. Yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so you make a really good point this is not a God going okay I brought him to Egypt and it didn't work out right? I mean I saved him in Egypt that didn't work you know what let's let's, let's deliver him from Egypt I think we use that same approach if we're not careful you know the Old Testament the law failed so God had to send Jesus no 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 Let's make sure we never think that. Jesus wasn't plan B. Delivering the Israelites wasn't plan B. Oh, man, this didn't work. Mm -hmm. In Genesis mm -hmm. 15. Mm-hmm. Right? Hmm. I like the way you phrase that. God sovereignly worked over the sinful acts of those men, through those sinful acts of those men. Didn't make them sin. And you see God's plan, going back to Genesis 50, going back even. Before, God had this plan. And he knew he was going to get here. Now, that doesn't mean that people didn't have their own free will through here, right? We're not saying that. He didn't create robots. But he knew where he wanted to be. It is plan A. It's always been plan A. It's always the primary plan, right? And these people sinned. Okay. And this person, Potiphar's wife sinned. You know, the the brothers sinned. And then now this Pharaoh's bad, and this Pharaoh's bad. Okay. I knew that was coming. And I've, I've got a plan for it. God is sovereign over all, and like you said, it, it comforts us to know, man. This is, what's going on in my life is bad. Uh, God's sovereign, yeah, and, and it might be bad. Please, please don't think I'm minimizing bad experiences. I'm minimizing hardships or trials, and I'm not saying in the middle of, you know, somebody beating my leg with a hammer, I'm going to go, yay, you know, beat my leg. I'm I'm suffering. You know, that's that's not it. But God is sovereign, and if God is sovereign. Those are not the things I dwell on. Those are not the things I let determine what I'm doing in my life. And that doesn't mean I don't cry at a funeral. That doesn't mean I don't go through hardships at a loss. Um, financial struggles, they, they still create stress. I'm not minimizing any of that. But if God is sovereign, if this is plan A, <laughs> you know, hey, we got 400 years in captivity, then we're going to let you. God, God is sovereign. I saw a hand up here. But if we go back for hundreds some odd years we begin Jacob by Israel and his voice we're living here. God moved them away. Yes. hmm And you look, you talk about them becoming a people, right? God, he brought the people away from the promised land into Egypt so that he could deliver them from Egypt back into the promised land so that they would be a nation, a people. I know you didn't say nation, but think, you know, a people, right? And think about the one line we sometimes forget from that promise when he's telling Moses. When you leave Egypt, I'm going to deliver you, they don't just become a nation. What do they get when they, get, when they leave Egypt? Freely, without ever raising a sword. They get riches, gold, silver. The Egyptians, they become a nation that is a wealthy nation that can survive in the wilderness, that can build a temple. It's like, well, how do they have all this gold to build a temple? Look what happened in Egypt. There was a purpose, right? They didn't just say, you can go. They said, go and take all my jewelry, take all my gold. We don't want you here. Please get out. We'll bribe you to leave. Again, God's sovereign plan, oh, well, Jacob didn't work, we're going to go to Egypt. Oh, man, this, you know, this, this famine, we've got to go to Egypt to live. Oh, now Egypt's not working out, we've got to go somewhere else. God's not surprised, right? God's not going, oh, I wish I'd have seen that coming. I wish I'd have known Pharaoh was going to be evil. Yeah. I wish I'd have known the law was going to be impossible to keep as a human and I needed to send my son. Right? Jesus was predetermined before we were created that he's coming in as a Savior. This is not plan B. This is not plan C. And again, I'm not saying that trials and struggles are easy, but it should comfort us to know there's a sovereign plan in place. Now, that doesn't mean God is going, Stephen, I need you to move a little to the left so that car doesn't hit you. Oh, I need Emily. to. I'm not saying he's a chess piece moving it. Okay, because we have free will. Other people have free will. We live in a fallen world. So please don't think I'm simplifying it. But God will use whatever is there. That doesn't mean that he wanted an 11-month-old baby to die of SIDS or someone to get killed by DUI. I've told you about my good friend who's a preacher whose son was murdered and the things it did in his life. That doesn't mean God wanted those things to happen, but he used them and utilized them. All right, I saw your hand. Correct. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. That, so, God did not spare himself from hardships, right? You think about what we, the pain we cause God. And you think about the story of Jesus. I don't know i don't know that i understand when i see the term god had to turn his face away from jesus i don't know that i know what that means because jesus is god god jesus and the father i don't know i think the suffering on the cross was worse when god had to turn his back on his son than anything that physically went on okay i don't i don't know tony i don't know if you have an opinion i don't i don't have a great insight to that but i think god's God hurt during that. I think God grieved during that. I think God faced a hardship. I'm not saying God was tempted or tried. Please don't say that at all. Um, But Jesus suffered. God didn't say, I'm going to send my son and we're going to make sure he doesn't have to go through hardships. We do things that grieve God, right? We're told that. Grieve God. God has times where he regrets his decision. Now, please don't. We have to be careful there when we start looking at some of those words. They're human words to explain a mind of God, and God doesn't have a mind. Like so, we can't get caught up in trying to figure out God's mind, right? But yes, God didn't spare Himself. That's a good point of having to go through those hardships and tr- and, and, and struggles, right? Jesus is in the garden not because it's easy. He's not praying, "Oh God, I got this." Right? No problem. I know where you want me to go. He's praying. If there is anything else you can do, anything, please please do it. I will do what you want me to do, but I'll take any other pathway other than this. So, Danny, I saw your hand. I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, Hebrews 5 and verse 8. Jesus learned obedience. What does that mean? And I don't know that I have a good answer. He learned submission, and, and I'm not, I, I just don't know that I have a good answer for what that means. Because he was obedient, and I guess even though he was obedient, he learned what it meant for a human body to be obedient. I don't, yeah. hmm Mm -hmm. yeah so that as you're saying our example in jesus is we learn obedience from what we suffer we're either closer to god or we're further away well did the israelites grow closer to god through their suffering here yeah god please rescue us god please deliver us right they cried out to god because they wanted to be close to god so that's my lesson for me okay What is God teaching me? What is he training me? What is he molding me to do? What is he hoping I'll learn from this? And I'm either going to be closer to him, be more uh, pliable in his hands. I'm either going to be molded more by him or I'm going to be more resistant, right? So, all right. Um, Good comments. Okay, so Moses flees to Midian. He gets married. He's a shepherd. And he's out one day. See, we can. Oh, yeah, we can. Go. And um, he looks across, and he sees up on the mountain a burning bush. I've said there are many things I want to see on the VCR of heaven one day, right? The parting of the Red Sea is one of them. I want to see God. We play that. I would love to see some things from creation. But the burning bush. How do you have a burning bush that doesn't burn up, right? How do you have this burning? What did it? What did it look like? The the um, messenger, the angel of the Lord, was in this bush. It was talking. You know, take off your sandals. This is holy ground. You know, I am. This is where Moses learns the name of God. I am, right? This is what you're going to refer to me as. I am. I am God. I am who I am. Uh, Yahweh, right? The Lord. The Lord God of Abraham and Isaac. And, right, this is, this is where Moses learns that name. And God calls Moses and says, I want you to do something. I want you to go back to Egypt, and I want you to deliver my people. And he gives them some instructions. I'm going to have you talk to Pharaoh. This is what I'm going to have you request. When you leave, you're going to get this stuff. Pharaoh is going to refuse it. He gives them the whole story. Now, this is a bush that doesn't burn up. This is a man who's been providentially prepared. And so being prepared for this, Moses naturally answers, Yes, Lord, I'll go, Right? What does he start doing? Yeah, Marilyn said it. Making excuses, right? But he just makes one. No. Oh, he just does a couple of, no. He says, God, who am I? Yeah, who am I to do this, God? This is a big task. I'm not really the right person. And he says, but then when I get there, who who am I going to say sent me? I mean, they're not going to listen to me. And then he says, but what if they don't believe me? How am I going to make them believe? And then he says, God, I'm not really a good speaker. I mean, this public speaking stuff, this delivering a speech, that really isn't for me. So in Exodus chapter 3 and 4, we see Moses go through excuse after excuse after excuse. But he finally gets to the last excuse. Anybody remember what the last excuse is? Well, after he says, I can't speak, he finally says, God, just send somebody else. I mean, what's he saying? I don't want to do it. If you've ever raised kids, you know that comes. I don't want to. This is Moses being a three-year-old stomping his ground on holy, stomping his feet on holy ground. I don't want to, God. I don't want to. All right? That's what he's doing. And I go, I can't believe you would do that. And then I think, ooh, ooh, Stephen, wait a minute. How many times do I make excuses for what God wants me to do? Right? And let's face it, I can come up with some good excuses now. There are times, we can't do everything, right? We have a limited amount of time, resources, money. We have to sleep. If we're going to have a family, there are relationships. But most of the time, most of the time, most of the excuses I come up with sound this ridiculous to God. Right? They really do. And what's God's response? Oh, Moses, I know you're not a good speaker, but no. He finally says, listen, I'm going to paraphrase here. You know how stupid you sound? I made your body. I made your tongue. I gave you a mouth. You don't think I know who you are and what you're capable of? And you're going to sit here and give me excuses? I know how pathetic they sound. In fact, it says that God's anger kindled against me. Boy, I don't Oh, oh I hope that's... Mm, I don't want to hear that. God's anger kindled against me. And he basically says, You're being a baby. You're being immature. I made you, and I know exactly. You're going to say, why won't they believe you? I'm going to give you power that you could not have any other way. I'm going to do signs that are going to show how great I, God, am. And then I'm going to have them deliver you with riches. And you're sitting here saying you don't want to talk to them? What if they don't believe you? Yes. He he said, pull up your, get your boots on, get your stick, and let's go. Let's go. Yeah. I don't want to hear the excuses. I'm going to send somebody with you. I'm going to give you these great powers. But shut up and go. I mean, that's what he's telling them. And I wonder how stupid I sound to God sometimes. I just don't have time for that. Boy, I just... When really most of the time my excuses purely are, I don't want to. Because really, most of the time, uh, there are legitimate reasons not, I can't I can't do things you can't do things, but most of the time we find time to do what we are most interested in doing. Okay, now that's not to say we don't need relaxation, refreshing. We see times where Jesus goes off by Himself, where Jesus sends the crowds away. Okay, so this is not a guilt trip of twenty four seven. You got to be, you know, at the church building preaching. No, 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 no. But let's face it, most of the time. Our excuses sound about as silly as Moses's did. And God is looking at me going, Stephen, <laughs> I gave you your mouth, your mind, your body. I know what your bank account looks like. I know what your day looks like. I know how much time you spend on Netflix or Facebook or whatever. And you're going to tell me, oh, I don't have time for that. Oh, I just don't have them. I'm giving as much as I can give. Oh, I... That I'm not really qualified to do that. Teach a class of kids? God, please shoot me in the foot first, right? I don't want to do that. He's going, wait a minute, I got something for you. And so I wonder how often God looks at me and says, Hmm. You know, my anger is kindled against you. The lesson is God doesn't need the strongest, He doesn't need the smartest. He doesn't need the richest. He doesn't need the best speaker. He doesn't need the most talented. He needs me. That's what he and He needs you. God is calling us, in whatever situation we're in, to be what he needs us to be. All right, that is a good stopping point uh, before Moses returns to Egypt. We'll pick up there next week. So as a reminder, school has started back. So they are going to end the kids' things at 745 now. Okay, um, so that the kids get back in here, uh, because I know a lot of the parents, the 810, 815 finishing is pretty late for them. So the kids will be ready. If you have those kids, go get them, and we'll start Devo here in just a minute. Thanks, everybody.